Thank you, guys. That was absolutely beautiful. Well, good morning again. It's good to be with you, and I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to continue talking about these four names that Isaiah gave to the promised Messiah 700 years before the birth of Christ. And we have talked about so far that Christ is our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. He's our everlasting Father. And this morning we'll focus on the fact that he is the Prince of Peace. So go ahead and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. While you're turning there, I'll tell you that uh, this week as I was thinking about peace, kept singing uh, one of my favorite songs, which is uh, by Ben Rector, and the song is titled, If You Can Hear Me, and it's really a prayer, and in that song, Ben continues to say, so if you can hear me, I could use you right about now. If you can hear me, I could use some peace. And you may not know that, you may not know that song, but you know that feeling. That feeling of, uh, I want peace, I want to see more peace in my life or in my family or in my community or in the world. Uh, when there is not peace, we are not comfortable because we're, we're not designed to live in hostility. We're designed to flourish in peace. And so that's why it's good news about what Isaiah says about this promised king, this king that we know is our Lord Jesus. So let's Look at Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 5 through 7 this morning. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us. A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you speak to us through your word and spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us now as we think about what is said in this passage, particularly in this name, Prince of Peace. Would you help us understand the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ? in new and fresh and even deeper ways. Would you enable us to look to him for peace and to long for him to come and bring peace from sea to sea? And we pray that you'll be with us now as we study this word and that you will use it to build us up in faith and equip us and excite us to continue our mission as a church to make disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our focus for this morning is this, that because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, you and I who believe through faith, we can experience peace now in many ways, and we can expect permanent peace all over the world when Christ returns. Okay? 
when or because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, you and I who believe through faith, we can experience peace in various ways now and then expect permanent peace when he returns. And uh, kids, if you're tracking a word of the day, it is the word peace. I was told I got to 132 in the first service, so see if we can bump that up a little bit for you. Um, so we're going to understand this about Jesus this morning. I want to talk about three things. One, we'll talk about the promise within the name. What is promised in the name Prince of Peace? And then number two, we'll talk about the importance of patience on our part when it comes to peace. And then third, we'll also talk about the importance of persistence when it comes to our experience of peace even now. So the promise and patience and persistence. Let's jump in. Look back at verse 6. and Let's talk about this promise. What's promised in the name Prince of Peace? And basically, the name Prince of Peace simply reveals that this promised Messiah, this king who would come, would be the kind of ruler who can and will bring about true and lasting peace. In fact, the word is shalom. It's a Hebrew word that is actually hard to translate directly into English because it has so much meaning, which we'll talk about. First, let's ask the question, why prince? What does the word prince mean? It's a Hebrew word that has a pretty big semantic range. It can be translated a number of ways. A head person, captain, chief, general, governor, lord, prince, ruler, steward. So ultimately what Isaiah is saying here is this person who's going to come is going to be a ruler. It's going to be in charge. It's going to be a prince. It's going to be a steward. And so what of what? Steward of what? Ruler of what? Well, peace. Shalom. Now let's talk about that word peace. Let's talk about that Hebrew word shalom. Because as I said, it, it's, it's hard to translate it directly into English. We usually just translate it the word peace. But it has these two sides to it. And one of the sides is the absence of hostility. So shalom means uh, peace or safety, security, the absence of war. It's one of the ways we need to understand that. And if you look at verse 5, that's what Isaiah is actually talking about uh, in verse 5, when he says, for, the, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What he's saying there is, that all of the clothing worn by warriors will be burned in the fire because there's no need for it anymore because there won't be any war. There'll be an absence of hostility. I mean, if you can just imagine all the soldiers all around the world rolling up, wadding up their battle fatigues and their uniforms and just throwing them in the fire. We won't need war uniforms anymore because there will be this total absence of hostility, that kind of peace, shalom. So that's one side of the word, but the other side of the word, the, the rest of the meaning of the word, not only will there be this absence of hostility, but there will be this presence of prosperity or flourishing. Uh, it, it's a word that can be translated as prosperity or wholeness, a kind of safety that brings feelings of satisfaction, well-being, contentment. Everybody under the rule of this king will be flourishing under his rule. Genuine peace, no hostility between any people or any people groups, 
uh, genuine flourishing, constant flourishing for all. Now just pause for a second. <laughs> we just got through uh, a very challenging um, and divisive election cycle. And I want you to imagine if next time that we have to elect someone, imagine if the slogan, the campaign slogan, was something along these lines. What if somebody said, vote for me and there will be genuine peace and constant flourishing, not only for America, but for the world. I think we would laugh pretty hard because we deep down know that no person can do that. No human being can do that. No group of people can or has ever been able to do that. No government been, has been able to do that. Since the fall, humanity has wanted peace and flourishing for all people, but hasn't been able to pull it off and won't. But God will. And so that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about this promise. There's a promise in this name. He's the prince of peace. He's the kind of ruler who can and will bring about this incredible lack of hostility and presence of prosperity and flourishing for all those who are under his rule. And one of the ways we can actually apply this is to use a little bit of sanctified imagination and imagine a world like that. It's hard to do because we live in such a dark and broken place where there's just such a presence of hostility and lack of flourishing. But this does invite us to use a little sanctified imagination and imagine a world filled with peace. So that's the promise, amazing promise. Now, this is where patience comes in, so let's talk about patience. Uh, look at verse 7. Um, one of the things we have to realize about this promise is that we're not going to experience the fullness of the peace that this king, this Christ, brings until he returns to make all things new. And this is hinted at here in verse 7. And so we need to be patient as we wait for this peace to fill the world. Uh, verse 7, he says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And right there, you see that there's going to be a beginning of this peace, of this ruler, and it's going to increase and grow and grow and grow. But again, there is that beginning. And so there's a patience involved in this, waiting for this peace to go all over the world from sea to sea, as Zechariah says will happen in Zechariah 9, verse 10. So we have to wait for it. It's not here yet in full. That king has come and the peace is happening, but we have to wait for it. That's why we still have things that are totally antithetical to peace, war, terrorism, racism, bigotry, hatred, greed, oppression, and all these things. Because the peace has not yet gone from sea to sea. Therefore, we need to be patient and realize that a big part of what it means to be a Christian is to be waiting and longing for the king to return and usher in that permanent peace that's promised. And in the meantime, to recognize that it's, life is still going to be tough. Becoming a Christian doesn't make life easier. Um, this is why Jesus says in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So right now we can have peace through our relationship with Jesus, which we'll talk about in a moment, but Jesus made very clear 
that we need to understand in this world we're going to have trouble it's going to be hard we need to be waiting for when this peace comes in full and we need to be able to imagine it so that we remember that it's coming and we can dream about it long for it in 1952, there was this woman named Florence Chadwick. Some of you might know that name. She wanted to swim uh, from Catalina Island, which is off the coast of California, all the way to California. And uh, she was already famous for being the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. So now she wanted to swim from Catalina Island all the way into California. And when she swam that day, the weather was really foggy, and it was really chilly, and it was really hard for her to see, even the boats that were accompanying her to make sure she was okay. It was so foggy, she could barely see those boats. And at one point, she was so tired and wiped out, she started begging for them to just bring her into the boat and take her in to the shore. Now, her mom happened to be in one of those boats and was encouraging her to just keep going. You're almost there. Just keep going if you can. You're almost there. Uh, but sure enough, she was just physically and emotionally exhausted, so Florence just stopped swimming, and then they brought her into one of those boats and took her into shore. And it was in that boat that she suddenly realized that she was almost there. I mean, just almost there. So then she would eventually say later that day in a news conference, quote, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. And this, brothers and sisters, is why God gives us imagery in the scriptures of this new heavens and new earth, this picture when there will be peace and flourishing for all people. He gives us the shore. He gives us the picture so that we can be patient and keep going and continue to trust in him and not give up on him, but believe that he will bring that peace. He will bring us to that peace. He wants our eyes on the shore and he wants us calls us to patience in the meantime. Okay, so we've got this amazing promise. We've got to be patient for when it comes in full. But also, third this morning, we want to think about persistence. Because if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, which he is, if he is this promised king who will bring this peace, we have to realize that there are things we do even now to experience peace from him. If we want to enjoy more peace now, we need to be persistent in the things that lead to peace. So let's talk about these things. What do we need to persist in? Three things. Uh, I would say that way we can apply this is, number one, we have to believe and live as if we take God at his word and see that the peace we're looking for is not somewhere out there. It's in him. It's in Christ. So we need to talk about being looking for peace in him, not out there. Second. We need to understand that when it comes to peace, we can't pump it out on our own. We've got to pray it in. We can't pump it out. We've got to pray it in. And third, if we want to experience more peace now, we've got to stop faking it and start making it. So let's talk about these things. Number one, if we want more peace right now, we have to realize that we're going to find it in him, not out there. Right back to John 16, 33, such an important verse. Jesus says, I have said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. And there it is. He wants us to understand that the source of real peace now is in him. It's through our faith in him. The relationship 
that is created through faith in him, through our union with him. Paul echoes this in Ephesians 2.14. He says, for Christ himself is our peace. He is our peace. And there's many places we could look to that make this connection. He is our peace. We find peace in him, in our relationship with him. So we're not going to find peace in things out there, which we're often prone to do, look for peace in things outside. We need to look in him, in Christ, through our relationship with him, through our growing relationship with him. Because that's the only way that you end up with what the world wants to call internal peace. That peace only comes when Christ is in here through faith. And if you don't deal with what's in here, it actually doesn't matter what's going on out there. Um, case in point, in 1942, there was a ship that was transporting Sherman tanks over to Europe across the Pacific. And um, the uh, Atlantic, and uh, th these tanks inside the, the hull of the ship that were being transported, they broke loose, and there was this really big storm, and, and in the storm, these tanks broke loose from uh, their securing, and so every time the ship rocked forward, the tanks rolled forward and slammed into the front, and then when the ship rocked back, they rolled back and slammed into the back, and it kept happening, and they were uh, just damaging this hull, and the sailors realized if we don't get these things under control, they're just going to punch a hole in the side of the ship, and we're all going to sink. So they do everything they can to go below decks into the hull where these uh, tanks are supposed to be locked up, and they have to do everything they can to try to get some cables around them and get them to stop from going back and forth and punching a hole inside uh, the ship. And so they're able to do that. They get them secured, and they're able to continue on their journey. And what's interesting about that is the real danger to them was not the storm outside. It was that disturbance going on inside the ship. And it's the same for you and I. Real peace happens when Jesus is in here, when we, through faith, know that we are in him and he is in us. There's an old saying, might have seen it on a bumper sticker, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Do I need to spell those out so we're clear? Okay. N-O, Jesus, N-O, peace. K-N-O-W, Jesus, K-N-O-W, peace. It's going to be in him, not out there. Number two, uh, we can't pump it out, we have to pray it in. We live in this world that tells us we can do anything we want if we put our minds to it. We live in a world that constantly says, believe in yourself. And Jesus and the scriptures do not go that route. They want us to trust in God. And a big part of how we experience peace, according to the New Testament, is through prayer. Think of what Paul says in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You can't pump it out. You've got to pray it in. Prayer is that opportunity where we show God that we need him, that we can't do this without him, that we, we need peace. He's the only one who can give us peace, and he loves to answer those prayers and help us to experience more of his peace. Prayer and significant amounts of prayer is really important in a really hard year. It kind of creates a little bomb shelter that protects our peace no matter what's going on outside and around us. 
Um, A.T. Pearson said, the peace of God that is eternal, or the peace of God is that eternal calm which lies far too deep in the praying, trusting soul to be reached by an external disturbance. So we got to pray it in. And then third, we got to stop faking it and start making it. We got to persist in that. Let me explain what I mean. The Prince of Peace himself says in Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The Prince of Peace himself calls you and I who believe in the Prince of Peace to be peacemakers, to persist in making peace. Uh, Paul echoes this in Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. See, the reason this is so important is because Christians are infamous for just pretending like everything's okay. When we're not at peace with someone or some group, we just, we're famous for just saying, eh, we're, just, we're not, not going to deal with it. But that doesn't lead to peace. And so the Prince of Peace does something. Jesus does something in his teaching. Uh, and what he does, it's actually what he doesn't do. He does not let us off the hook when it comes to peace. Let me explain what I mean. If uh, Matthew 18, in Matthew 18, Jesus teaches us that if your brother has sinned against you, to go to your brother in private and tell him his fault. And if he repents, then you've won your brother. So if somebody has sinned against you and there's not peace between you and that person, you're supposed to go to them. But he also says, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, that if you know that somebody has something against you, if you know that you've hurt someone, you're supposed to go to them. <laughs> he doesn't let us off the hook. If somebody sins against us and breaks peace between us, we're supposed to go to them. If we mess up and hurt someone else, we're supposed to go to them. Why? Because he's the Prince of Peace, and he wants his people to be peacemakers, pursuing peace. Why? Because he knows it can come. In fact, uh, if you are at odds with someone, maybe God is calling you to pursue them for peace. To, to make peace. And I want to give you an incredible tool for that. Uh, the best book I've ever read on this is Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker. Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker. It shows how amazing the Bible is at guiding us to making peace with people with whom we're at odds. It's absolutely remarkable. Until you read that book, you may have no idea how much guidance there is for making peace. Now, I will say this. Sometimes our best efforts at making peace still don't bring it about in this life. We live in a broken world. But even in making the effort to be at peace with those with whom you're at odds, you feel God at work, at least in you. And there's a peace in that, knowing that you're pursuing peacemaking, that you're doing what you can, so far as it depends on you. And this is all possible because of who Jesus is. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the ultimate peacemaker. We celebrate Christmas because it was the day the, the Prince of Peace was born. The one who would make peace between God and man. 
the one who would lay down his life to pay for the sins of his people so that through faith his people could be at peace with God, knowing that he, he has forgiven us for all of our sin, knowing that he has declared us righteous, he's promised us eternal life, and he is at peace with us, we are at peace with him. That's what we receive through faith in Jesus. We are at peace with God. That is such good news. That is why Romans 5.1, Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, not by anything we do, not by doing the right things or not doing the wrong things, that's not how we end up at peace with God. The good news is, as Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate peacemaker. And as we look to him and see that he has made peace between us and God, that helps us then pursue others to be at peace with them. Thomas Merton once said, Man is not at peace with his fellow man because he's not at peace with himself. And he's not at peace with himself because he's not at peace with God. And he's exactly right. But as soon as you're at peace with God through faith in Jesus then you can be at peace with yourself because you know your righteousness doesn't come from you. It comes from Jesus. And once you're at peace with yourself, then there's power to pursue peace with others. So we got to stop faking it and start making it. And the world sees when we are doing that. They see more glimpses of the peace that this king is going to bring. You know, my favorite story about a remarkable moment of peace uh, is from 1914 in uh, World War I. And the German troops and the British troops have been battling it out on the front for uh, a long time at this point. And then Christmas Eve 1914 comes. And this amazing thing happens as the sun goes down and the bullets stop whizzing for the day. The British troops realized they, started, they were hearing singing coming from the German trenches. And as they listened, they realized they're, they're singing Silent Night. They didn't know the, they didn't recognize the words, but they, they recognized the tune. And so they're hearing these Germans sing Silent Night. And uh, then after they're done singing Silent Night, they start singing, O Come All Ye Faithful. And so at this point, the British troops decide, well, we'll sing along. We'll just sing in English. And they start singing. Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. And one by one, soldiers on both sides of the front start peeking their heads up from the trenches and waving and yelling, Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Come and behold him. Born the king of angels. And sure enough, they started getting up out of their trenches, raising their hands and saying, don't shoot. Merry Christmas. And they come together, dozens of them, in between the trenches. And they are singing together and laughing together. They end up playing soccer together. They even, some of them, exchange home addresses so they can be pen pals after the war. Hours earlier, they're trying to kill each other, and then Christmas Eve, they lay down their arms, 
because they want to celebrate the Prince of Peace. They want to adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Now, as you would assume, a day or so later, they were back fighting. But it was a picture of the power of the gospel and of the Prince of Peace. It was a glimpse of a future when all soldiers lay down all their arms and everyone who has any hostility towards anyone, it's all gone. No hostility, just flourishing. That's the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, we, we long for Christ, the Prince of Peace, to return. We long for the shore. Would you help us believe this promise that the peace everybody wants is coming in and through Christ? Would you give us patience as we wait for his return? And would you let us be persistent in the things that enable us to experience and spread peace even now. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.